Okay, we're going through, so in Ben's sabbatical, he's like giving us a game plan. We're going through what are called the pastoral letters of Paul, of uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And what these are, oh, if you don't have notes, you don't even have to listen to me if you get the notes. You can just read the notes instead. They're on a table in the back, and you're welcome. Nobody will look at you if you get up and get them now. But uh, I'm going to probably stick pretty close to these things. Anyway, we're going through uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. These are written, this is really cool. These are written by Paul to individuals in the church, not to the leaders of the church, not to the people of the church, but to the leaders of the church. So in a way, it's kind of like if we intercepted an email <laughs> from one famous person to somebody else. You kind of see, you know, a personal aspect to it that you might not see if it's written to the church. But it's in the scripture, so it's something that we, uh, is authoritative to us. And it was uh, 1 Timothy, we're going to look at 1 Timothy. Uh, we started with uh, JP last week, started us on 1 Timothy. He was our guest speaker. And uh, we're looking at 1 Timothy today. And he had oversight over the church at Ephesus. Now, we don't know if that was like, if they all met together in one building or if they, we, we don't know. But, but we know that he had authority over this whole church. And so Paul's writing him a letter about things that uh, Paul wants him to do. Now, uh, I've already made it to the second paragraph if you're worried about how many pages there are. Uh, but this letter, this particular letter, like all of Paul's letters, has a bunch of do's and don'ts in it. But one thing that we need to think about is when Paul says do something or don't do something, he's not just listing arbitrary rules. He had been a Pharisee before he became a Christian. And he was like the most un-Pharisee person you could be after he became a Christian. He would not do arbitrary rules. It's like you got to wear blue ties, you can't wear red ties, that kind of thing. He wouldn't do it. There's reasons for this. And I would suggest that uh, a lot of times the reasons have to do with the churches that he's working with, things that he has seen that God has shown him in the churches and he's instructing these people to kind of get things straightened out. Now, I love, we're already in paragraph three, I love the New Testament letters, personally, a lot. Now, don't try to trap me and say you don't love the Old Testament. Or, I mean, I just have this special affection for the New Testament letters because of what they are. They're written to New Testament Christians. We are New Testament Christians. We are just like them. We're in a different time period. We're in a different city, different location. Our culture is different. But we are the same as them. That's cool to me. Now, I'm not an ancient Hebrew, you know, and when I read the Old Testament, I have to do some interpreting you know, to, to glean the principles out of it. I don't think God wants me to pick up sword and spear and go, you know, stick somebody uh, in a holy war. Um, that's, that's what I have to do with the whole Old Testament. I have to, like, really process it. 
But with these New Testament letters, they're really essentially written to me and people just like me. Problems might be different in the local church. I have to be aware of that. But, but they directly apply. Uh, and uh, almost everything in the letters is directly applicable to us. I can only think of a handful of situations in the New Testament letters where it's difficult to apply what's taught. Oh, by the way, uh, a little aside, you might be excited to know that I started out with a runny nose. But right before I got up here, I took an uh, antihistamine. So you should see improvement. <laughs> I wish I thought of that a little earlier. So I personally love all the New Testament letters because they're directly applicable to our lives. Uh, only a handful of situ situations. For instance, nobody's ever invited me to a feast where they're serving food that's sacrificed to idols. Just hadn't happened to me. I'm sure in some places in the world it happens to people all the time. But it hadn't happened to me. But there's just so much in those New Testament letters where I can't say, oh, that was to them, that's not to me, because I'm the same, which is really cool. So today, yay, we get to talk about something that is controversial. It's controversial in our culture, big time, but it's also controversial among believers. One of the interesting things is, and, and uh, Ben kind of doled out these scriptures throughout uh, Timothy and Titus, uh, but, so we're covering the whole book, but he actually covered this subject in November of last year. And I tell you in the notes how you can track down his sermons, and you can compare his sermons with mine on these verses to see if we've come to the same conclusions or if I'm starting a different church today. <laughs> Uh, anyway, it's controversial. Um, it's used by, in, against the church by non-believers, and uh, its application to us today is disputed by believers. The section of Scripture that we're looking at today is, what are the limits of the role of women in leadership and teaching in the church? You excited, Michael? <laughs> so Ben preached about this like I said so you might want to get the notes just to be able to track down his sermon and we're going to read the whole section of sermon, the scripture and then we're going to come back it's not a whole lot of scripture uh, 1 Timothy 2 8-15 no boos, no yays you know just like keep it chill this is the word of God I desire then that in every place that men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. 
For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Okay, that's, a, that's the chunk. So we're going to start with the men. And they don't, in this particular place, they don't say much about the men. He doesn't say much about the men, but this is what he says. I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So he's writing that, I believe, because this is really important. And I can speak from my, uh, what I've seen a lot of times the men don't pray. A lot of times I'm one of the men that don't pray. And a lot of times men do not gather together to pray. Uh, and lifting holy hands without anger or, or quarreling. Um, so I want to say, when's the last time you prayed lifting up your hands? Here's what I would suggest. Why not? Why not? It says, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Well, we can say, well, that was their culture back then. Uh, the culture of the early church. Sounds good. So, you know, don't know where you are with lifting up holy hands, but let's go ahead and try. Uh, so, that scripture refers back to, it says, then. In King James, I think it says, therefore, I want men in every place to pray. That refers back to 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, which was, uh, we, we're not really covering today, but I'm looking back to it. First of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high places, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So Paul is saying, this is like the first thing, maybe the main thing. This is what Christians gathering together, the men need to be doing, praying all these prayers so that we can live as Christians in society. What does that mean? That we will have an influence, that people will come to the Lord, that we can spread the gospel. That, you know, uh, JP talked about it last week. You know, he, he used the term gospel advance. Or, you know, that, that Paul was saying all these things so the gospel would advance, meaning so more people would come to Jesus. And it's really important, this supplication, prayers, intercession, and thanksgivings. In fact, it's like our weaponry. You know, I've been thinking about this, and maybe it's because of Memorial Day, but in, in very military terms. And uh, there's a lot of flack out there about uh, Christians using kind of military, militant ideas that are maybe too close to picking up guns. Uh, but I would suggest that these are the weaponry, this is, this is the weaponry. Supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. If you want to be a warrior for Christ, 
supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings made for all people, for kings and those in high authority. Here's my little rabbit trail. Are you praying, and I'm pointing at me right now, (laughs) are you praying for our government, for our government leaders? Are you praying for a president that maybe not your favorite, or a governor? Are, are, you know, are you praying for these folks? Because I think that's what this is literally telling the men. The ladies do it too, but he is instructing the men to pray for these leaders. And uh, I think a lot of people are missing this. The idea that it's like, well, yeah, if our leader was a godly leader, we'd certainly pray for him. Well, you know, he's talking about praying for Emperor Nero and stuff like that. And it's for the church to be able to spread the gospel. Um, so that's a rabbit trail. That's the men. Uh, now for the ladies. That first part was easy. Likewise, Also, the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. I think one of the first things to know is the context. Note the context. When he's talking about what the men should do, now he's talking what, unfortunately in a way, what the women shouldn't do, But it's in the same context of spiritual warfare. How do we we cause the kingdom to come forth? And what I see is he's saying, okay, we're in this Greek culture, which like ours, and ours is more this way, is devoted to everybody looking as, especially the women, looking as beautiful as they can and as impressive, you know, I think of my news feed, you know, how many pictures of beautiful women decked out in designer clothing and stuff like that. That's not supposed to be the focus of Christian women. Now, it's not saying, I don't know if you've, how many uh, versions of Cinderella you've seen. I don't think God is calling the women of the church to be like, Cinderella before she met her fairy godmother and to wear rags and to do all that I I don't that's not the point at all the point has to do with focus the focus is okay I used to focus on my jewelry and my makeup and my dresses and and trying to impress but I'm not going to do that anymore because I can see from this that my focus should be different my focus should be on good works um So, moving on. Oh, there are rewards for doing that, uh, for, for, for having this focus in this life. There are rewards. But the bulk of those rewards come when Jesus comes back. So there is a payoff for doing this. Okay. I can probably get away with that chunk of Scripture pretty easily, just about anywhere, especially saying it the way I said it right there. Uh, I don't see any hostile faces here we go. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or ex- to exercise authority over a man 
Rather, she is to remain quiet. Such as the women are right now. <laughs> uh, this is a very controversial scripture uh, because our whole culture has a different idea of what's worth and what's worthy and what people should do. Uh, and I have a big theory, you know, someday you, you, you know, buy me a cup of coffee and I'll, I'll share my, my theory of American society and why we're where we are. Uh, it might be completely wrong, but I'll, I'll be, yeah, I'll share it with you. Uh, but I know that nothing that I can say here is going to make the culture happy. Nothing. So you can turn off the, you know, YouTube thing because... They're not going to be happy. Uh, but we have to look at this in the context of the scriptures, the context of the gospel. Whatever it means for us today, it is not about a woman's value to God as the following verse and their other verses show. In Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. As believers in Christ, we all have equal worth to God. He loves each of us so much that he sent Jesus to die for our sins. The idea that men are better or more worthy than women is stupid. It's a stupid idea. That's out there in the culture too. I don't want to give it a name like the redneck culture because it goes further than... But, you know, God is... Um, he sees us in Christ. We all have our worth in Christ. And it doesn't matter how many oppression, oppressive societies there have been. It doesn't matter, you know... Uh, God is never for oppression. God is not a God. He loves the oppressed. He doesn't love the oppressors. So, you know, so many have been burned, you know, in, in our society and probably in all societies, you know, but that should not keep us from trying to see what, what the Lord wants us to do here in the church. Uh, the Bible does teach that men and women have different roles in the family and to some degree in the church. I am not going to address outside the family and outside the church because that is not my jam. And I would be so hesitant to uh, make some type of judgment about a woman in any form of leadership in a corporation, in, a, in government, or anything like that. I, you know... God help us. We're just trying to walk with the Lord, you know, the way he's shown us in the kingdom of God. And, uh, and the scripture talks about in the family and talks about in the church. Uh, these roles, even though men and women have different roles, these roles are equally valuable in expressing the character of God to a lost world. So in terms of power and authority and glory, 
There's no difference between, between men and women as far as we all have the potential to glorify Jesus and reflect Jesus Christ in our lives. Okay, a thought on the all-submissiveness. Um, let's see, where is that? That was, that was back when we re- read the scripture. It talked about uh, in all-submissiveness. I take all-submissiveness to mean in these categories, in the family and in the church. That's what all-submissiveness means. I don't know what it means when you're in the middle of a sermon and you can't say a word. It's like, Lord, help me say this. Men, um, women are not called to submit. All women in the church are not called to submit to all men in the church. That doesn't make any sense and that's not there. But women, like men, are called to have the right submissive relationship with the authority in the church, the leadership in the church. That shouldn't be an oppressive thing. That shouldn't be a weird thing. But, but just like men, women are, are called to that. And men are called to a submission role in their families. But that's why you need to go back and listen to Ben's sermon so you can hear why that is not a bad thing. Uh, because it's not. But I don't have time to, to really go into to that family order thing. But uh, needless to say, uh, in our elders meeting, we want consensus among the elders when we make a decision. But Ben is like the tiebreaker. He's like, you know, we're, when it all comes down to it, if half of us want to zig and half of us want to zag, we're going to look to Ben to help get us zagging. Help, look to Ben to help convince the others to do what I think is best. Uh, okay. And here's why. Here's why. This is Paul. He's writing to Timothy. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. It's interesting that Paul uses the Genesis story of the fall to explain why he doesn't allow women to have authority over men in the church. Some Christians, some legit Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ, argue that it was only in Ephesus because of the situation in Ephesus. The idea that there were a lot of women false teachers and that was why he said that. Uh, That that's meant that Paul made this like temporary command to shut the women down because they were teaching false doctrine. Uh, that's a view. That, I, I don't hold to that view. Uh, perhaps there was an issue with female false teachers in that church. Or perhaps it was seen by outsiders to have women, women in authority as being offensive to people in that culture. So there are reasons that people who believe the scriptures, say, well, that isn't really applicable to our situation today. And I would say, because Paul talks about Genesis, he doesn't go back to Ephesus. He goes back to the beginning. Because he talks about Genesis, we've got to consider, you know, 
what that apply, I think it does apply to us. I think it applies to all the church at all times. It's just how does that apply? And that's where there's debate. That's where we need to pray. We need to try to be sensitive to the Lord because um, we don't want to misrepresent the Scripture. Okay. But I, and, and it goes along with this idea in 1 Corinthians. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. To me, that's a great scripture in this context because we're saying the head of Christ is God. So it can't be about worth or value. It's not about that. Um, Apparently, it's not about the worth of a person because the head of Christ is God, but about the role assigned by God in his wisdom to, to these people, each people. So, how do we apply it here at this church? I'm going to give you a little brief synopsis. Uh, we approach the issue discussed in these verses very seriously. We're not light about it. We don't walk around with this. We are not the church of the macho guy. I mean, I think, I'm thankful for any macho guy that God brings into this place and gives him a godly macho-ness. But we are not, we are not that church where we would just walk around, ha, huh, you know. Where's my coffee? Where's my, you know. How many dishes didn't you wash this week? You know, we don't do that. That's not where we're coming from. We want to really be sensitive. Um, we want to be faithful to the instructions God's given us as we understand them, but also have great sensitivity to the worth and giftings of women in our church. We want to really... Uh, we don't want to stifle anybody. Now, as far as the culture goes, we're not going to let the culture teaches right and wrong we just aren't okay so got through that chunk i'm into the last one i'm going too fast i probably ought to take a little nap right now <laughs> give you time to like register what i've said <laughs> what was ben thinking he was saying you know what these verses are really hard. We'll give them to Alan. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? They could kick Alan out of the church, and I'll come back and be a big hero. Uh, anyway, yes. Mm -hmm. She was under her submission of her husband, but she was given a place and she taught the church and it was great and it was glorious. She wrote a book on it. She wrote a book on it. Oh. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> I skipped a, a, a paragraph <laughs> and, and nobody's, nobody stopped me. So now we're not going to get out early. Um, so how do we apply this teaching at Living Hope Church? Uh, we'll discuss next week uh, 
the qualifications of elders and deacons and how, you know, how this applies to that. Please come back. <laughs> uh, but for now, here's something to expect. I would say that we would not have a woman as our pastor, as our senior pastor, like, you know, or as an elder. Uh, since these people are charged with defining the doctrines of the church. Uh, in our main services, it will be rare, and I, I couched it with rare, to see a woman preaching the sermon, but you will often see couples sharing a teaching. You will certainly, and we're just talking about the main meeting. I'm not, talk, not going to talk about Bible studies and anything else. I'm, I'm just going to talk about the main meeting right now. Uh, in our main services, it'll be rare to see a woman preaching the sermon, but you will often see couples sharing a teaching. You will certainly see women leading worship, praying, reading scripture, prophesying, giving testimonies, and giving words of encouragement. So you will see that. And you have seen that. Um, so here we go. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. It's interesting the self-control comes up twice in the, in the little brief thing of Scripture, but what it cannot be saying is that there's two ways to be saved. If you're a man, you believe the gospel. If you're a woman, you have babies. I mean, don't, don't act like it doesn't look like it could say that. <laughs> Save through childbearing. Uh, I believe, and you know, when I say I believe, usually I have a bunch of uh, commentaries at my back or something. I, I you know, um, but that the reference to childbearing, I think, is clearly an allusion to Eve and the curse of the fall. You know, it, because it just talked about Eve. Now it's talking about Eve and uh, or, well, it's, it was talking about Eve and the curse, you know, uh, at the fall, the serpent was cursed, Adam was cursed, Eve was cursed. And the curse with Eve was, uh, uh, at least half of it, was that your pain will be increased in childbearing. It's kind of a downer message. It scares me when Michael's pointing at me. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, um, so to me, it's, it's clearly, it's, it's making a point that rather than the curse, this is like a positive thing. That's a positive thing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. Um, and what I believe is this is really countercultural. This is one of those, you know how, you know, sometimes we'll have somebody speak and they're speaking in a closed country and they're about to say something that they think might get the people rattled so they have them turn off the, you know, stop recording and they'll, they'll say something that's, you know, kind of could get somebody hurt overseas. Well, maybe we ought to stop the recording right here. I'm kidding, but <laughs> this is super countercultural. 
okay? I believe what this scripture is focusing on, I don't think it's saying women have to be married, women have to have children in order to be doing what God has called them to do. I don't believe that at all. That doesn't go with other scriptures. Although, in a sense of maybe the norm, or how can I say it? Because I don't want people... God has a plan for everybody. And uh, the widows and the, the people, they all have a place in, in, in the Lord. But I'm thinking there's a focus on family and home life that our society either hates or super redefines. You know, it's just... I don't think God wants, he certainly doesn't want the women to be drudges just to be doing a bunch of grunt labor for the sake of the men. That's, that's not true. What God, I believe, is showing us is that as the men, their warfare, at least in here, there might be other things involved, is to pray for out there, is to pray for the government, is to, you know, it, the focus is there. I think for the women, the focus is the home front. You know? And that it really is as important and as powerful for the gospel as what the men do. And if the enemy can get women thinking that the home front is not important... And there's more mileage by, you know, going out, you, you know, with the men, um, then the enemy can destroy, destroy the church. That the, and and I hope I'm saying this in, in a way that's that's not too crazy. I know it's offensive to the culture. I know it, uh, and I'm not saying women shouldn't have a job. Or anything. I'm talking about focus and calling and giftings and doing something that pretty much can't be done by anything else, anybody else. And that's the home front. Now, uh, I'm going to tell you a, a sad thing that's not in your notes uh, that might match your experience. But I was kind of uh, part of the, uh, like the remnants, the end of the Jesus movement, where a lot of people my age were getting saved. A lot of people. And uh, we went to a church that was full of young people that had gotten saved during the Jesus movement. If you saw the movie, <laughs> Jesus Revolution kind of talks about what happened in California. I think most of the Jesus freaks in this part of the world were not as freaky. Um, <laughs> but still, it was a move of God. It was a move of God. But I cannot tell you how many of the children of people we know in that same sphere have prodigal kids that are not walking with the Lord? It's, it, it breaks your heart, and you can't fix... It's not, I'm not saying this to blame anybody, especially not anybody here, or, or these people that I love whose kids are, are out adrift in the world... Um, but to me, that is an example of 
how important the home front is. And when I say the home front, I'm not necessarily talking about stay-at-home wives or uh, homeschooling. or I'm talking about just that whole nurturing home front. You know what I'm talking about? If you think in terms of a war, you got people on the battlefield and then you got people on the home front. And, uh, and I think one of the things that might have been a problem during that, you know, the, the aftermath of the Jesus movement was there just wasn't, it, it wasn't that strong an understanding of God has this glorious calling and anointing to, to uh, keep the home fires burning. Okay, so that's what I believe that that scripture is talking about. It's doing it in a way that's referring back to Eve and everything, but I, I think that's what it's talking about. Our culture seriously devalues the role of women as the primary nurturers in the family. I believe, he, here I believe it is teaching just that. A married woman fulfills God's call by primarily being the godly nurturer in the home and having faith in God, loving others, and resisting the temptation to find herself worth some other way. So we made it through that scripture. Nobody's walked, well, one person walked out, but they might have had to use the bathroom. Um, final thoughts. Uh, the restriction Paul gives on women as leaders and teachers of men cannot be about natural differences between men and women's abilities. The church is not built by people using their natural abilities. So it's not like men have a bunch of natural abilities that God uses for this, and women have a bunch of natural abilities that God uses for that. We're talking strictly about spiritual gifts that God gives to his people to do specific things. Spiritual gifts are given out by the Holy Spirit according to God's will. And this, I think, is super important to somebody who's feeling limited by what I'm saying. God will never give you a spiritual gift and then have a rule that absolutely, absolutely prevents you from using it. That doesn't make any sense. So, you know, God loves women like men. They bear his image. Also like men, they have intimate access to God through Christ. Women can be strong, and we see examples of strong, godly women in the Bible and in our own local church. We got some strong ladies here. Godly ladies, strong ladies. Um, women are not second-class citizens in the church or the kingdom of God. They do not have second-class callings or second-class gifts. Married women have a high calling, I believe, to focus on their families. And I'm, I, this is a principle, not, you know, this is just a principle. It's a high calling. It's not a low calling. It's not a drudge calling. Our society seriously and maliciously neglects the importance of the family. Consider whether 
a married woman's spiritual gifts are primarily designed to, for seeing God move in her family. Could that be a reason that a mother or grandmother's prayers are so powerful? You should have seen my grandmother. <laughs> she was something. Uh, and she prayed for me. She had, a, she had visions. My grandmother had visions. She had a vision of me being in the woods and not being able to get out. And, and she prayed for me. Um, single women are not hindered from serving God or using their spiritual gifts because they are not married. That can't be true. Their focus can be on the greater family of the local church and using their gifts to the fullest to see godly relationships thrive. Likewise, women who have no children have a calling to their husband and their extended church family. We have many brothers and sisters in Christ, true believers, who would disagree with this interpretation. And frankly disagree. We'll find brothers and sisters who love Jesus who are going to disagree with any interpretation we come up with of these verses. That's just the way it is. We need to recognize and bless our fellow believers even when we see things differently. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Wayne Grudem. Uh, wrote the systematic theology that we use and uh, a smaller book called Bible Doctrine, Wayne Grudem. Uh, on the internet, you can find like 117 lectures that he's done through his systematic theology. And I listened to several of those. Uh, and it's amazing how he would say about this, a certain point in scripture. And he would say, I believe this. But this guy who I know and love, you know, and highly respect, has a different opinion and believes this. And that, I just was so blessed by his... Uh, graciousness to recognize the whole body of Christ and not to say my way or the highway about something like this. We're not talking about the, the deity of Jesus. We're talking about something like this. Okay. So I have a challenge to you. This is how we're ending. Uh, are you feeling like a second class citizen in the kingdom of God? And this men, men or women could feel like this. Do you feel like you don't know what God's mission is for you right now? Do you feel like God hasn't given you any spiritual gifts? Or that you are somehow being hindered from using your spiritual gifts? And so what I would suggest is, first, if you're a believer... Have you asked God to fill you with His Holy Spirit? Because that's where these gifts come from. And I know for me, there was a point where, <laughs> this, is, this is my story, I didn't know about the Holy Spirit. I didn't know. I was a, I'd become a believer. I didn't know about the Holy Spirit. I knew about the Holy Spirit, but I was a little bit creeped out about the idea of <laughs> asking the Holy Spirit to fill me. <laughs> That was scary. And then I asked the Holy Spirit to fill me. And that doesn't mean I have to not continue to go before the Lord and ask the Spirit to fill me. My wife will tell you. 
I, I need to ask the Lord to fill me a lot. But, I mean, there was a point where I, I didn't even know. So if you're like that, we'd be glad, I'd be glad to talk to you. But, but you can go to the Lord and ask the Lord to fill you with the uh, Holy Spirit. That is a good thing to do regardless. If you're one of these people that feel like a second-class citizen or anything like that, because it's the Holy Spirit that gives us these gifts. Uh, and the other thing you can do is go to the Lord and, and just ask Him, what, what am I called to right now? What's my mission? And, uh, and He'll show you. So... Yes, sir. Yes, please. Well, you know what? Are you up next? No, we have a final song, but you, you, you come up next. You come up now. Do it. All right. First uh, Timothy 2.15. Yes, you will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Uh, when we were young, Gloria and me, we wanted to have children. And we had five miscarriages in a row. Painful. Terrible. And we didn't know what to do. Uh, but we had both been filled with the Spirit and we ran across 1 Timothy 2.15. And we read it in a simple way. She will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And Satan and God had told us that Satan hated the children we were supposed to have. Hated them. Didn't want them to come into existence. Wanted to keep them buried in the depths of the earth. Not able to ever see light. So we started praying this scripture. Memorized it and prayed it and prayed it if they continue in faith and love and wholeness with self-control. We fought against him because he wanted to murder the children yet unborn. And we ended up having three sons born by the Word of God and by faith and prayer. And, and we understand more deeply now than ever that Satan hates the children and wants to kill an entire generation. And this, the church in the United States is fighting this battle desperately for the sons and daughters that they would be able to come forth. And God saved Gloria and those three sons through that Scripture. Just want to say.